0: Fall is upon us. Labor Day in the rear view mirror. And you know what company is going to help out your property this year better than any other? Steel. S-T-I-H-L. SteelDealers.com. More than 10,000 in the country. So there's one right around the corner from you. And SteelUSA.com. And they have so many products. Some that I'm going to highlight today because they're on sale. How about... um, $30 $30 off right now for the Garden Prumer, the GTA 26. It's a great tool for any platform. And, uh, it is on sale right now. Also, the BGA 57 battery powered blower that'll clean up anything. You new pressure washer? They got sales going on pressure washers right now as well. And if gas is your thing, free chainsaw case, chain and hat after purchase of an MS-261 or an MS-271. Chainsaws galore. Got to check it out. Again, go to SteelUSA.com to see all of the wonderful products and the wonderful deals to get you rolling this autumn. Sthl steelusa.com. This week on the Drew Goodman podcast, the CU Buffs shock the world. How about this? Prime time. Dia wins his first one.
1: Rockies pitching coach Daryl Scott on an edict for all Rockies pitchers. We've said it for years, it's, it's attitude over altitude. You have to embrace the challenge of, of what you're getting into. Subscribe
0: to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell all your buddies while you're watching the Buffs game on Saturday. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast.
1: For real, Shador Sanders from my HBCU. The one that played the Jackson last year, the one that you asked me, why would I give him the starting job? And like that, that, no, not you.
0: I got receipts. I know who they are. That of course was Deion Sanders' prime time in the aftermath of Colorado shocking TCU down in Fort Worth, forty-five forty-two, taking receipts. Welcome in, everybody, to show number 218, and wow, wow, wow. You know where we're going to start. Or know where, you know where we're going to go. That term, shocking the world, is used so frequently and misused, quite frankly, in the world of sports when a team wins and maybe a few people said they weren't going to win. And it's like, we shocked the world. We shocked the world. Uh, maybe Muhammad Ali shocked the world when he knocked out Sonny Liston in the early 60s. I'm trying to think of the the next time somebody really shocked the world. I'm sure there are other instances. This one on Saturday in Fort Worth, Texas may apply. So many conversations on the lead up to Colorado and what it would look like against TCU. What it would look like. Could they compete? how much better would they be? After all, this was a team that was 1-11 last year. But those guys are virtually all gone. We talked about it last week in the lead-up to the game on this podcast. Only 10 scholarship players back from a year ago. More than 80 new faces. And I said, like many others, and, and this was not being disrespectful, it was being curious on how they would all gel in a limited amount of time. You're talking about a new group of players. You're talking about guys that have never played together, coaches who are still learning each other. You're talking about new systems offensively and defensively, even for Shadour, because this system that he's playing in is Sean Lewis's, who is the head coach at Kent State. New terminology. So many things. Everything's new. Everything. The, other than the, what is it, the nine kids from Jackson State? Nobody had ever played for Deion Sanders before. This was truly remarkable. I said going into the game last week, again on this podcast, that I'm more intrigued by this game than any Colorado football game I can remember in Forever. And maybe as intrigued as I am in, in any football game I've watched in a long time. And you guys know how much I love football. It was amazing. It really was. They were so fast. They were so well coached and flawless for the most part in their execution. I mean, for the game, they only made six penalties it it just blew you away and very early on very early on I turned to a buddy I was watching it with and I said they can win this game it's not just hey they're competing that was was pretty clear after a couple of series okay they're going to compete with TCU and this isn't going to be a 20 point game that was out the window now you're going they can win and ultimately, in the 45-42 aftermath, uh, in, in all the conversations we've all had with our circle of friends, uh, mine, I'm sure, were, were exactly like yours. Forget three wins. Forget even the thought that so many good Buffs fans were saying, man, if they could get to 500 this year, wow, that would be unbelievable. And and I And I would just... Been right in line with that. That that would have been one hell of a year. Probably still is, okay? But you're looking at it now. After what you watched, a 45-42 win against a team that was in the national championship game a year ago. And I know they got dismantled by Georgia. I understand that. And I know they lost some players. But they also reloaded. Sonny Dykes has a couple transfers from Alabama. They had eight guys back who were starters a year ago on defense. Uh, the secondary was supposed to be the strength uh, of that team. The quarterback, Chandler Morris, was originally the starter before he got hurt. He started against Colorado last year. Um, then Max Dugan came in, had a Heisman Trophy caliber year. Chandler Morris, really good football player. That team's going to score a lot of points this year. That team's going to win a lot of games this year. That team, in my mind, just watching how they run around, that team's a top 25 team. But again, now you look at Colorado, and you're saying, how many? They're going to start 3-0. and I mean, I'd be shocked if they didn't. And then every team they line up against in the Pac-12, who, by the way, is off to a great start in their final season. No Pac-12 team lost. Do you know that? Every team in the Pac-12 won. Crazy. Um, you know, SC, we know SC's really good. We know Oregon's really good. So that schedule is going to be difficult, but your sights are different. Your expectations are different after one game. So, yeah, they did shock the world. They absolutely shocked the world. I want to begin individually with Shador Sanders. Dion was unabashed. He's always unabashed, right? In stating that we have our quarterback. Two's our quarterback, and but there's a lot of pressure when two your quarterback that you're bringing in and saying, "Yeah, he's got to earn it," but he's our guy is your son. We saw how difficult that was when Cody Hawkins was the quarterback for the University of Colorado, and his dad was a head coach. And Hawkins was a was a, a you know terrific athlete, could move around you know, tough kid. I always had great respect for him and I felt terrible for him oftentimes too because, you know, he took so much abuse, uh, you know, off the field. And so there's a lot on his shoulders talking about Shador. And he came out and i had seen the highlights of him at Jackson State. And I know he played really well at Jackson State. He's a terrific player. But I'm sorry. It's still a different level and you want to see how it translates. You want to see how it translates with all these new guys. Not saying it it's not going to look different five or six weeks from now because you expect them to be better. But the way they executed, the way he threw the football, forget just the numbers of 510 yards. Look at his poise in capital letters he is and i said this to my buddy you know midway second quarter i go he's a he's an nfl quarterback he's a legit nfl quarterback that's what we're looking at his ball placement remarkable his decision making terrific the most important thing to me for for an nfl caliber quarterback is the ability to throw the ball on time accurately open in the nfl and open in college football often are different things. There's a tiny, tiny window to deliver the football to in a in a, in a small space to hit your uh, receiver in the NFL. That's what I saw from him. That's what I guarantee you you saw from him on Saturday. This kid's phenomenal. This kid's great. And then the plethora of targets, four different receivers over a hundred yards. You know the little running back from Derby, Kansas, who who. Uh, was going to go to Notre Dame and turned around. And he just outruns everybody. Kid, he, What a sweet-looking kid. He looks like he's 14 years old and running up and down the field. Um, Shador was, was over-the-top impressive. And now we go to Travis Hunter. I want to talk about Travis Hunter for a while. Travis Hunter was the number one recruit in the country. He surprised everyone when he went to play for someone he knew very well in Coach Prime at Jackson State. And Colorado said he's going to play both ways coming in. What I thought that would mean is that he would play cornerback basically 100% of the time, and there would be some packages Sean Lewis would have for him in offense. So he would play some snaps on offense. And maybe they'd run a rocket screen to him. Maybe they'd try to, uh, you know, throw the ball deep to him on a couple of occasions, take take some shots down the field. I didn't think that he literally, when they're on offense, he's in every package. And when they're on defense, he's in every package. He played in excess of 120 snaps. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. You go to like little league football and, and the and the, you know, really talented kids play both ways. Well, it's still they're not playing anywhere close to 120 snaps. Even the high schools where kids will play on occasion both ways, and you don't see that as much, especially at the big school level, a 5A level in, in the state of Colorado, you're not going to see many kids playing both ways. It's not going to be full time. And it got me thinking about how we look at what people can do physically. Just got done with a book by David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me. It was a New York Times bestseller. You're probably aware of it. David Goggins was a, uh, you know, a, a a decorated Navy SEAL, also an Army Ranger, also part of Delta Force, and an ultra ultramarathoner uh, does, you know, triathlons and, and the, the triple triathlon. And I remember when I first – I'll take you back. I, I remember when I first saw on ABC Wide World of Sports the, the Ironman in Hawaii with the, the woman who was crawling to the finish line, and you learned about this event where you swam two and a half miles in the ocean. Uh, uh in Kona and then you and I've been there when they were training for it a week before the race I've been there a couple of times and on that on that road where they bike 112 miles and then run a, a marathon immediately after right it's there, there's no shade and it's hot as can be and it's the pavement and you and you you're watching this this is many years ago and you're going who in the world could do that physically? And as we've learned, there's no limit to what people can do physically. And I think it it sometimes holds us back. Look at baseball and how we have celebrated Shohei Otani. And I know he just tore his UCL and he's just hitting right now for the Angels. And he's going to have to have another Tommy John in all likelihood. And we won't see him pitch again until 2025. People said, well, you can't be elite at both. Shohei Otani showed us that you can be, and he will be again. I believe that. He will be again. Why do we always limit? Where is it written? When when you see people do things like three of those Ironmans in a row, people do things all the time. They say, man, I cannot believe physically you can do that. So why, why can't you train and play on both sides of the ball like Travis Hunter? And, and I know people say, well, that's not sustainable. He's going to get hurt. Guess what? It does raise the risk factor of getting hurt simply because you're on the field competing for more snaps than if you just played one way. That's, you know, simple arithmetic. It's a violent sport. It's a dangerous sport. Athletes always get hurt in every sport. I'll go back to baseball for a moment. I think it's limiting. When, when we say, oh, we got to pull that pitcher out, he's at 100 pitches. When you go back and a couple generations ago, we didn't even have pitch counts. And guys made 40 starts in a year. You weren't going to go get Bob Gibson or Steve Carlton or, or Tom Seaver in the sixth inning. Say, hey, job well done. You went six. But that's where we are now. And we're always doing it to protect arms. Well, Guys throw harder than ever before, and we have more Tommy John surgeries. You know what I'd do? I would – I honestly, I would think about, no, I'd rather have – if a guy's still pitching well and still effective and it's 110 pitches, so be it. Because they're probably eventually going to get hurt anyhow. That's a shame of it with pitching. What are you saving by only throwing them 95 to 100 pitches – and then crossing your fingers when you bring somebody else in who may not be as talented or as dominant as the guy you took out. The, the whole point of this is we sometimes fall in the trap of saying, well, human beings can't do this. We have to limit the load. And this kid, Travis Hunter, was the best corner on the field. They threw the, they only completed I think one pass on him all day. And then offensively, it was a freak show. And, and, and it, his numbers could have been bloated even more had he been able to hold on to that deep ball uh, in the first half on the dive in the end zone. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I don't think Dion will back off. Dion knows better than anyone what it's like to play both ways. Dion knows better than anyone what it's like to, to play an NFL game and a Major League Baseball game in the same damn day. He understands. He gets it. He is not limiting himself... Or what he thinks somebody's capable of because most people believe, oh, it can't be done. That kid's special. That kid's different. And I guess the ultimate, as we talk about Colorado and what they accomplished, the ultimate hats off to Dion. He's going to do it his way. And as he said, he's going to take receipts. And he's a chip on the shoulder guy. And you've heard me on this podcast many times in the past I love chip on the shoulder guy. I love guys, even if it's contrived. When you're going to compete, find a reason that you feel slighted or whatever it is to put that chip on your shoulder. Because people who compete in life with a chip on their shoulder are going to outperform even more talented people because of that chip on their shoulder. Now, he's got a team that's playing with a chip on their shoulder. And clearly, he's got a lot of talent. It was amazing to watch, man. It it really was remarkable. Getting to Nebraska. Nebraska lost again. They keep losing close football games. They have a new coach in Matt Rule who was very successful at Iowa State. Matt Rule changed his tune a little bit. Remember, he kind of poked the bear a little bit with Dion over the summer. And then in his press conference leading into this uh, week's game, Against uh, the Buffs in Boulder, I mean, he was he he looked like the PR firm for Coach Prime. So uh, you know he's he's changed his tune quite a bit. I, I just based on what we saw, I, I think Nebraska is really good defensively. I think they'll be better defensively than TCU was. But I, I just that place is going to be in a frenzy. I just don't think Nebraska is going to be able to score enough to keep pace. Uh, with Colorado. And that takes us to, to game three. I mean, you got to play these games out. But game three is in Boulder against Colorado State. And I hate to say this because, you, you know, I root for both schools and I, I've told you this before. Also, I got my startup in Fort Collins calling football and basketball in the late 80s. Leon Fuller was initially there. And then Earl Bruce took over and started turning that program around. Did a lot of games when Sonny Lubick was up there and they were a top 25 team. And I'm a big Jay Norvell fan. I think Jay Norvell is a heck of a coach. Did did a number of his games when he was at Nevada. That was a disappointing start. That loss at, at home to Washington State. I didn't see a much better offensive line. I didn't see a team that looked appreciably faster than a year ago they gave up 50 and some people say well here's a silver lining they finally scored 20 plus points because they didn't all of last year well they had a kickoff return for a touchdown I mean that counts but that's not part of the offense and it was probably a garbage touchdown in there in the fourth quarter so the air raid offense has not had a lot of raid in it if you will it was disappointing it was disappointing and I, and I feel for Rams fans because they came out. There was close to 32,000 at Canvas Stadium. And it was more of what they saw last year. And I, I just don't see... There's going to be a talent mismatch when they when they play in Boulder. That's just being honest. So uh, those were some of my reflections on on the opening weekend. Actually, a couple of more. Mountain West, just so-so. San Diego State saw glimpses of their game. They, they got by... Uh, Idaho State, Boise State got boat raced against Washington. Boise State always carried the mantle uh, for the Mountain West. And uh, unfortunately, there's now a a bigger discrepancy between the haves and have-nots in college football. I mean, it's the SEC, it's the Big Ten, it's a handful of others. Colorado looks like they're going to be part of that. And then there's a big drop-off. And I know how badly the, the boosters in Fort Collins wanted to see Colorado State in a Power 5 conference. And I said it got screwed up several years back when they had a lot of momentum, beautiful new facilities, uh, and Canvas Stadium, and they didn't win. And they were getting good players, and they didn't win. First under Mike Bobo, and then the mess when they allowed Urban Meyer to run their um, search committee. It was a search committee uh, of one, and they ended up on... Adazio, and we know that was an epic failure. And, and now why why would a major conference, why would the Big 12 want Colorado State? And I want to see them go to the Power 5. It'd be great to have you know, two schools in the Power 5 within 60 miles of one another in our state. It'd be great. But why are they going to take them? It's all about money, television, money. That's it. And Nobody's going. Boy, we got to get Colorado State on television this week. It's a shame, but that's where it is. But it could have been different. It could have been different. Mentioned that the Pac-12 went uh, unbeaten, which is uh, which is pretty wild. One other note: I heard Paul Feinbaum, uh, who's you know a college football old school guru, you know, nestled there in the Southeastern Conference for years and years and years, say that you know what Dion accomplished in week one, unprecedented, and it's now going to set him up to be the number one target for maybe an unprecedented contract offer at the end of this season. I listened to that and I said, you know what? It does not have to be that way. If you are Deion Sanders, what do you want to do? You want to compete for a national championship. And he wants to do it right now. Heard him on the Pat McAfee show. Said, "Yeah, we're not trying to, you know, win four or five more games in last year. People say, boy, that would be quite an accomplishment to to go plus four or five after a one win season. He goes, that'd be an insult to to my players, insult to myself. He's trying to be, as he said, dominant and and be in the national championship picture from Jump Street, right?" So if you are able to recruit the players that are good enough to compete at the very top of the sport, and then you are doing it at the University of Colorado where they have enough wealthy alum that they can pay you top dollar, they're paying them a lot of money as it is right now, and pay your staff top dollar, why do you have to go to the next SEC school that opens up? Doesn't have to be that way. I'm a big one. I think we all should be, right? On quality of life, our state has taken in well over a million people in the last decade. Why? Well, there's a variety of reasons, but near the top of the list is who the hell wouldn't want to live in Colorado? It is beautiful. The weather so much better than people realize. It's a great place to live. So if you're Deion Sanders, are you going to play in front of a hundred thousand people at Folsom Field? No, you are not. It's going to be a little over fifty thousand but they care. We know that. Buff fans care. You live in an unbelievable place. You can afford financially to do anything you want. Why are you going to go just to another school? Remember how dismissive he was when somebody last week said, well, you're a Knoll. And he said, no, I'm not a Knoll. I didn't graduate from Florida State. I graduated from an HBCU. I believe it was Talladega. And So I think there's an assumption out there that this is a stepping stone. And I know a lot of Buff fans have an inferiority complex that he's got to go somewhere else once he wins and we should enjoy this ride uh, while it lasts. I don't necessarily believe that. I don't necessarily believe that. I think the the community obviously has embraced Dion. I think from everything that I can glean, he has found a a place... uh, in our country, that he didn't know a lot about, and, and his eyes have been opened to everything we know. And says, "Wow, this is flat out gorgeous! What a great place! What a great, you know, town Boulder is." And he can recruit kids to Boulder, Colorado. I hear Travis Hunter also say that he goes, "Why? Why do I?" Because I really like Colorado. I'd love to play for the Broncos. Here Catch that? So, I'm not buying into oh, this is a stepping stone. One other note. My man, Marky, uh, brought this up. He said, remember when Mel Tucker left, Midnight Mel? And and that seemed like rock bottom. His Buff fans felt like, hey, they finally had a coach. Man, we finally have a, a coach that's going to turn this thing around. And it did feel that way. And then he left for Michigan State and, and you know, more money and the Big Ten, etc. Well, that doesn't happen. And they've just been okay, by the way, in East Lansing. If that doesn't happen. Maybe... We are never at the point that Rick George rolled the dice and did one of the great recruiting uh, pitches of all time and and his persistence to bring Dion to Boulder. Maybe uh, we're not where we are right now in early September. So again, big hats off to uh, to Dion and truly they did shock the world they shocked the college football world. they shocked uh, all of us in that. You didn't know what it would look like. You felt like, okay, sounds like they got better talent, but how long will it take for them to play together? And they were, they were really good in week one. And they know they have things to clean up because they gave up 42 points on defense. But, um, it is, it is exciting times again, uh, in Boulder. And that is going to be one wild place on Saturday morning, uh, when the big red show up to take on, uh, on Colorado. Hey, switching gears over to baseball very quickly uh, to recap the week for the Rockies. Uh, We're down in Arizona as we tape this. Rockies uh, playing the Diamondbacks, then it's off to uh, San Francisco. Kids continue to play well. Uh, Nolan Jones had a good uh, homestand, swung the bat well in particular against Toronto. A couple of steals in one game. He's got 10-plus bags now, in addition to that big arm in the outfield, and he's hit uh, you know, mid-teens and home runs. He continues to do his thing. He catch Brenton Doyle, threw a ball 105.6 miles an hour from the outfield the other day. The hardest throw ever captured uh, in the StatCast era. That's amazing. Amazing. Got to hit more. We know that. Um, Tovar, 30-plus doubles now, leading all Major League rookies. Uh, he has not hit the fatigue um, button in terms of well, it's his first time at the major league level playing this number of games. He just keeps showing up with great energy uh, every day. And it looks like Hunter Goodman, I know it's only eight games in. Uh, he's driven in, you know, I think it was seven runs in his first seven games, something like that. It looks like this kid's going to hit. He's going to hit. So again, some of the pieces for the future, long way to go. Keep in mind that the Rockies, 25th in home runs in baseball, their 30th in on base percentage, their OPS is the second worst ever for the Rockies organization. They have to make significant strides forward, but they realize that. And they're doing it now the right way, playing these young guys, getting them repetitions and getting them repetitions against, because of the schedule, really good teams. And um, it's a process. And I think if you're a hardcore Rockies fan, you go, okay, I like this, and and I can get behind watching Jones play and Doyle get better, and Doyle do his things in center field. Which you know, I think uh, for people who've watched the Rockies, unprecedented. He's going to be the best center fielder the Rockies have ever had, uh, certainly defensively. And uh, so there are good things happening, um, and it has to continue. And there's got to be more guys to come up, and and it's going to take it's going to take a couple years. But um, I like what they're doing right now. And that leads me into my interview of the week. I sat down with him uh, on the last road trip, Daryl Scott, who's got a tough gig, man. He's the pitching coach for the Rockies and he is really well thought of. He's always been well thought of inside the organization. But more importantly, when you talk to pitchers, they have always, going back several years, sung the praises of Daryl Scott. His demeanor, uh, his understanding of pitching mechanics, his understanding of, of working at altitude. Um, Again, very well respected. So we sat down and had a conversation about uh, his young pitching staff and where they are and where they're going. Daryl Scott, pitching coach of the Colorado Rockies. Is there any consolation that you have the toughest job in major league baseball, but you are one of 30,
1: (laughs) you know, it's, I think it is you just, you know, you just go at it. You just go look at it every day and you don't worry about where you're at. Don't worry about, you know, what's happening, you know, today. Like, for example, talking to the team today, I said, hey, from the beginning of spring training, number one goal was execution. And, you know, every day, that's the only goal. Go out there and execute to the best of your ability. Go out there. Be in control of yourself emotionally, be in control of yourself physically, and simply execute pitches. What happens, happens. You know, a perfect example was uh, was Suter last night. I think he gave up, you know, five hits, and I think they were all under 90. You know, um, got in on a couple guys, a couple pitches off the plate away. Things found holes. You know, they found that 5-6 hole last night on us a couple times. Short right field, bloopers a couple times. Um... You know, those are out of our control. Once it leaves your hand, it's out of your control. So that's that's the message, really. Like, And I think playing in our ballpark, I think that has to be the the mindset. We All we can do is control what we can control. Once it leaves our hands, it's out of our control.
0: I always say this with hitting guys, and I've had this conversation with Bam Bam going way back. I used to have it with Clint Hurdle um, at the amateur level hitting this game so tough every aspect of it but hitting you know you're almost uh, a full-time psychologist and a part-time mechanic right do you find you're in that boat also because again of where your guys work
1: yeah you know and and i'm sure that every pitching coach feels that way um you know Things happen in this game, and and it, it's a it's a difficult game. It's a difficult to hit. It's difficult to pitch. It's you know things happen, and you know it's one of those things where you you have to teach guys and work with guys on staying in control, understanding how important that process is, understanding how important just the ability to breathe out on the mound. How important that seems such a, like such a silly thing, but. You know, you have to be in control of yourself emotionally on the mound, and you have to be able to breathe. You have to have a routine. You have to have a process. Um, It starts, you know, from the minute our guys get to the field. They, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's stretching, whether it's coming out for throwing program, moving into the bullpen. There's a routine to every piece of that, and as soon as you get out of that routine and and things start speeding up on you, you're in trouble. So. And I think that's, that goes for everybody. You know, it's not just us. It's not just uh, hitting. It's not just pitch, It's everywhere you go. I think every, every aspect of baseball has to be that way. Whether you're an infielder, you better have a process to prepare yourself for that next pitch. And, and the same goes, you know, I think it's really important on the mound that you have to prepare yourself emotionally for every pitch. You can't let the last pitch dictate the next pitch emotionally. So um, I think it's something that we talk about constantly. It's something that we're working on constantly. And we've got some guys that are that are learning that skill on the fly right now. Um, we've got some other guys, you know, like a, a Gomber who's you know going to be throwing tonight. You know, he's been really good at that process the last the last half of the season.
0: Gary, you've been around here a long time. Does it have to be a cookie-cutter thing where, and what I mean by that is, you know, you're going way back. It was thought, you know, Rocky's got to have the ball on the ground. Sinker slider guys. We got to find sinker slider guys. Then there was a period where I, I think this works anywhere. We got to miss bats. Do you, do you feel like it's got to be a certain way or it's just got to be, you know, five guys in a rotation that pitch to the best of their
1: ability? Well, I think every guy is an individual. You know, you look at Austin Gomber, nothing close to Kyle Freeland. You know, um, So Austin Gomber has to pitch at the top. He has to get out to the top. He's got to use his slider. And then you go to a Justin Lawrence. He's got to be down. That's that's how their stuff plays. So it's figuring out where each guy's stuff plays. So, you know, probably 10 years ago, you'd say uh, Matt Cook. That's not going to work here. Uh, Chris Flexen. that's not going to work here. But you know what? Now, you know, I, I think... What we've learned is is every guy can pitch here, you know. Do you have the mental side to, to pitch here, and do you have, you know, an out pitch that'll carry? And I think that's where the the important thing is is with with Cookie and Flex. There's that there's that cutter that that plays for them. They they both have pitched at the top throughout their careers, and and they're going to continue to pitch at the top, um, you know. But then you you move over to you know, Freeland, he sinks the ball more. Kind of like, you know, Marquez will, will sink the ball more. Those guys are gonna pitch at the bottom more, and then they're gonna they're gonna visit the top. Um, so what I think it, it all depends on the guy. You know, um, you know, and just figuring out his best attack plan and wherever that's at. You know, some guys have a little different attack plan at home than they do on the road, and you know that's a that's a process. You know, so making sure that. You know, we figure out what that best attack plan is.
0: Is that something that you try to build upon? The, again, going back to the altitude thing, that it takes a certain toughness to pitch in in Colorado, and then take it on the road, and maybe you have to make some adjustments in release point, and use that almost as a rallying thing, as a bond that we are unique, we are special, and not everyone can do it like we have to be
1: able to do it here. Absolutely, that's the message. It is it? You know, we we've said it for years. It's it's attitude over altitude, and I, I really believe that that's true. And you know, we've seen you've been here a long time as well. You've seen the guys that we thought were going to be good here that just weren't able to do it. They just mentally had trouble with it. You know, there you know your your batting average on ball and play is going to go up. You know, for some guys that's really hard. They're not used to that. They're not used to seeing balls fall. And you know. Getting back into it on the next pitch, they're not used to having to make those adjustments. They've just been stuck in doing one thing, one thing only. That's and when it doesn't work, you know that that's it. They don't have anything to go to, uh, whether that's a, a go-to mentally or whether that's a go-to physically. And I think the guys that have had success here have adjusted um, and you know have figured this out and, and embraced the, the challenge. And I really think that that's what it is: is you have to embrace the challenge of, of what you're getting into, understanding that you're gonna have to do different things at altitude from a preparation standpoint, as much physically really to prepare yourself to pitch every day as as anything else. And then when you go on the road you're gonna have to make some adjustments and you know, so every every time we look at something, we can't just look at an overall pitching number. We can't look at, you know, Tampa Bay when they you know, they're just looking at a vertical number we're looking at two different vertical numbers with every guy whether that's at our place you know our place or or when we're here we have to look at and see how those how those things play at at every place so you know we're we're constantly having home and road splits and those are important to us when we look at things analytically
0: yeah. i want to ask you about a, f- a few individuals uh, unfortunately injuries are part of sport you've had more than your fair share probably this year Peter Lambert's been provided an opportunity. He seems like he is healthy again. Um, Not only how impressed are you with what you've seen as a starter again, but where can this go? I mean, when you look in your crystal ball, what kind of guy can he be from a rotation standpoint?
1: You know, the great thing about Peter is that, you know, Having had the chance to see him develop through our organization, and everybody in the organization knew from the beginning this guy was made of the right stuff. This guy has, you know, strong mental character, strong aptitude to learn, and you know we, he was always kind of that. We call him the, the silent assassin as he was coming up through the system because of of how he went about things. It was, you know. He always had that attitude where he was going to beat you no matter what, and I think that's the thing that's really carried him. And now, you know, going through the difficulties of the last couple of years with the with the surgery and and coming off that, and now that he's back into the into the mix at full strength, we we intentionally used him out of the pen early in the year to limit the innings because we knew we couldn't rely on him for you know, couldn't put him in a situation where he was going to get 160 to 200 innings. It just wasn't there physically after the last two years. So using him in middle relief um, early in the season, then once kind of as we got to that midpoint, we're like, okay, let's build him back up. We have the opportunity. We have the need right now. So let's build him back up and we can still have him at that, you know, 100, 120 inning mark by the end of the season. And you know, he's taken off in that because now he's there's the consistent work of, of being the starter again and it's put all his pitches back into play. you're seeing the changeup in play you're seeing the, the slider and the cutter in play. You're starting to see the curveball come back into the mix. So I mean for me he's a guy that, that you know, I'm counting on to be to be a, to be a, a, a main guy in the, in the rotation for the next however many years.
0: Let me ask about another guy that, that has showed promise, and unfortunately, he got hit, and now he's making his way back. Obviously, I'm alluding to Ryan Feltner. From a stuff standpoint, and an aptitude standpoint, and, and a you know a character standpoint, he's a great kid. Obviously, where can he be from a rotation piece? Again, looking in that crystal
1: ball, there. <laughs> You know, I think the expectation is for him to, to be in the top end of the rotation. He's got the stuff to be a top end of the rotation guy. He's got the velocity. He's got the movement. As we talked about, just figuring out his best arsenal, um, wherever that's at. And the one thing that, that as he's over, you know, he started doing this year a little bit more was incorporating the two seam. It's a really good two seam. So now he's got the ability to to use the two seam down and the four seam up. Um, his slider plays, um, his changeup plays and like right now he's he's in a really good place the, the live BP the other day I think he topped off at 98 the other day in the live BP so he's coming along good and you know I think the next hurdle for him is, is making sure that that he's in a good place mentally it, it's tough coming off an injury like that you know a skull fracture's not. Not easy to come back from mentally uh, or physically and so making sure and allowing him the time yeah. to go hey let's make sure you're you're ready both physically and and emotionally to get back on a big league mound uh, I know he threw today and had a good good outing down in Arizona today so um, we're moving in the right direction but he's an, he's another guy that you know he should be and the expectation is for him to be a Uh, main guy in the rotation. Austin Gomber
0: is very interesting to me, and I've talked to him about this, uh, and I want to let you know that up front. I mean, he he was very candid, as you well know. You know everything going on with your guys. Very candid two and a half months ago and saying that he still kind of bore maybe an extra burden because he was part of the trade for Nolan Arenado. And I was thinking... I wouldn't say this publicly at the time, but I'm thinking, boy, this could go one of two ways, and and, and maybe you were even thinking the same thing, Daryl. when he kind of bore his soul that this could, you know, maybe go south. It didn't. It went the opposite way, and he's now, he's probably. Had, I mean, I, I'm saying this. You, I feel like he's been
1: your steadiest guy the last couple of months. Absolutely, he's had a he's had a really good year. That the numbers really don't show what he's what he's done. He had. I'm trying to think of the number off the top of my head, but I think it was something like nine straight outings where he was, you know, pitched into at, at least through the sixth or into the seventh inning, um, nine straight outings. And, you know, he's been really, really good. And that was a, a major part with him early in the season. And And he and I talked about it. He and, he and Buddy and I sat down. And, and one of my comments to him was, you know, you're you're really the only one putting yourself in that situation. Like I look at Austin Gomber and he's a Rocky. I don't even I don't even consider, you know, where he came from, what he's a Rocky. And that's all that matters. And and really that's the same with with all our guys, you know, and, and hopefully we, we convey that, hopefully we, we build that into them that, you know, you're Rocky. Like I don't know. I, I could care less where you came from. Like, you know, where you came from, you know, is one thing, but you're here now. You're a rocky, like especially with Austin, because I've known Austin for you know since day one that he got here. And so when he, you know, sometimes when guys will say things like that, it almost catches you off guard because you're not you're not thinking that at all. Like, you're just like, why? You know, no, no, no. You're just you're just a rocky. Like you know, we got to move move past all you know past the background and, and there's no reason to put pressure on yourself for any anything like that
0: yeah as tough as this year has been and again the injuries and and a lot of young guys getting their first opportunity when you look ahead do you have great optimism that this thing can start turning in the right direction
1: absolutely I look at the, the guys that, that we have you know in AAA right now you know with, with justice Hollowell, Peterson vodnik, um, you know, you've seen Tommy Doyle come up, and and he's kind of reinvented himself from what he was a few years ago. And after the sh- shoulder surgery, all of a sudden, like, you know, he was questioning whether he could pitch at the at the major league level without ninety eight. And now he's shown that that he can. He's got he's got the stuff to to pitch here. Um, you know, you look at some of the guys that have been really good this year, and. and some of these guys aren't really young, but they've come in and done a great job. Matt Cook, um, Kara City, he was here. You look at Mears. Mears has been good when he's been here. Um, so I think that there's some there's some guys coming, and then I think with, you know, we get uh, Marquez back, we get Senza back, we've got Gomber, we've got Feltner, we've got Lambert. We've, we've got the pieces to, to have a really good pitching staff, and I think that that's that's going to come. You know, you look at, at Justin Lawrence and his development. You know, he got kind of pushed into that closer role, and really his, his best role is that situational guy pitching. You know, finishing the seventh, and then and then rolling into the eighth, and where you can kind of pick the the lineup and the part in the lineup. You know, where they can't just uh you know they can't switch out and go all lefty against him. And and I have no problem with him against lefties. You know, but I think ultimately his strength obviously from that slot is going to be right handers um you know so i think as as we start putting this thing together and we start seeing those arms you know we've got a chance to to really take off as a pitching staff
0: daryl i appreciate it man thanks as i said you got toughest gig in the, in the sport
1: <laughs> i appreciate it i appreciate it thank you
0: You know, and going forward, as you formulate a rotation for the Rockies, Peter Lambert—he's pitched to a mid-three earned run average since being put into the starting rotation. Solid. Looks like a you know, you know, four good four, three four somewhere in there in a rotation. Never want to sell anybody short. Guys get better. Ryan Feltner is now throwing again in the minor leagues after you know getting hit in the head and. Such a scary moment and a fractured skull. He's got a big arm, Ohio State kid. And we've seen him. He's he's never really sustained it within a game, but he's young. We've seen him be dominant for two or three innings, and then there's always a you know an inning and gets away. Um, the Rockies have to strike out more hitters. They have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. Seven point one hitters a game. You know if you play a course fielder anywhere. When there's traffic, sometimes you, you can't always get the double play or hope for a weak pop-out or that sort of thing. Sometimes you need a strikeout. And they have a lot of contact pitchers. Kyle Freeland, contact pitcher. Austin Gomber has had a good year. Contact pitcher. Ty Block has been really good you know, in the rotation. He's a he's a contact pitcher. They have to grow some guys that can miss bats. Feltner has that ability Um, And we'll see how it turns out next year um, moving forward. But again, big thanks to Daryl Scott for jumping on with us. Before we get on out of here, I want to talk tennis. Um, I think you know this. I love tennis. Play a lot of tennis now. I've always loved tennis. U.S. Open, we're in the midst of that. And it's been so long, it seems, where the U.S. men have really made a mark on the game. It's been, you know, dominated by... Uh, Europeans, obviously, it's been dominated by the big three uh, who were you know, Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic are going to go down as the, maybe the three greatest players of all time. But it's really good because as of this taping, uh, Taylor Fritz got beat, but American uh, in the quarters. Francis Tiafoe uh, has done really well. Ben Shelton, uh, terrific player, son of a coach, son of a former um ATP player uh, Ben Shelton's had a great run big left-handed serve on the lady side Coco Goff Madison Keys and of course the U.S. women have done better over the last you know 15 years than than the U.S. men have but the U.S. men are making noise at the U.S. Open and I love watching it it's great theater so just wanted to uh, mention that as well. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. We appreciate you. Hats off again to Marky for uh, all he does uh, putting the show together. And we'll talk again in seven days. Stay well, stay safe, and can't wait to see that Buffs matchup with the Huskers this week. It'll be a blast. Take care.